welcome to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And you're listening to episode 74 of Afraid Not. Today we're going to talk to Pam Taylor. And Pam is a person that we know from church in Owasso. Pam is actually an amazing lady, a friend of that I'm glad to call friend. And some of the things that she shares today truly reminded me of the book of Job in the Bible. She has been through some of the hardest situations, and yet at the end of the day, she's still saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. I just cannot tell you how inspiring she is, and the joy that is in her countenance is so sincere and precious. Um, Something that she said as she was walking out the door after we finished talking is she said, you know, I just didn't see so many things coming that the Lord had in store for me, and whether it was hard things or sweet things, I just think that so many of us can relate to that. If you've ever thought, I didn't see that coming, Lord, <laughs> this story's for you. You're going to be very moved. It's a, it's a beautiful story, so listen in. Thank you, Pam, for joining us. We're so excited to hear your story today. Thank you. We're just thrilled you're here, and I'm grateful that I recently got to connect with you at First Baptist Church Owasso. And that we discovered we actually have a whole lot of connections that go back mm-hmm. for about 40 years. That's right. It's kind That's of fun. Right. All the same neighborhood, Willow Creek Estates in Oklahoma City. And your son, Ben, was in the same school with me all the way through until we, we graduated from high school. Yes. So shout out to Ben Whitley. Hello from your old <laughs> classmate. And uh, that's kind of a fun connection to yes, find out. Would you introduce yourself to our listeners okay. today? Well, my name is Pam Whitley Taylor. And as you said, I did live in Oklahoma City for a lot of years, but I was born and raised in Mississippi. And that's southern Mississippi, a little town not too far from Hattiesburg, Gulfport, that area. And I grew up in a church there. And some one time someone introduced me and said, oh, well, you're, you're a grits girl. And I said, well, I don't like grits. And they said, no, you're a girl raised in the South. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, okay. Cute. And now I can see I'm a vintage girl raised in the South. <laughs> and I married an Oklahoma boy and moved to Oklahoma in 1972, and I've been an Okie ever since. Hmm, that's great. So did you meet him in Mississippi or Oklahoma? I met him in Mississippi in the same church that I grew up in. He uh, was working down there in a work-study program, and he was from Oklahoma, and he was real homesick. One of the secretaries brought him to my little country church uh, to meet some people, and we met, and we got married about a year and a half later and lived on in Mississippi for two years. 
And then we moved to Oklahoma, and I wondered where the trees went, where all those pines <laughs> went. <laughs> and uh, um, we moved to Pauls Valley, Oklahoma, and then we eventually moved to Oklahoma City, and I was there until 2009, I believe. And so that's kind of home, but I love Owasso, too. We're glad you're here. Well, thank you. And your story moved me so much when I heard you share at a Sunday night worship service at First Baptist Church Owasso. And I just would love for you to just take all the time you need to tell us all about it. And our prayer, we just prayed this before we began, began our recording. Our prayer is that listeners would be encouraged by how faithful God has been to you through your story and that... Whatever we're facing, that God can get us through it. And Amen. you're just such a great example. So please Thank just you. tell us your story. Well, I grew up in a little country church, which I loved. I used to sit with my grandmother on the front row. And my dad was raised in that same church. And then that's where I met Jesus. Uh, I grew up always in church, but I remember the morning that I really heard the words of Jesus loves me and knew that it said Jesus L-O-V-E-S is me because i have been singing it S-L-O-V-E-S. And that morning <laughs> I heard it and I just felt like a warm hug. I was probably four. Oh. And then when I was 11 in a summer revival, um, I asked Jesus into my heart. And then at that point, I believe I was a Christian, but I really didn't understand the kind of personal relationship Christ wanted with me. And so I had my little list of do's and don'ts, and I was a, you know, goody two-shoes. But I found in my life, God always meets you right where you are. And so mm-hmm. I remember it distinctly. I was sitting in the front porch swing, and I was reading, a uh, missionary brought some pamphlets to my little church, and it was a Bill Bright Campus Crusade for Christ booklet. Mm-hmm. And I really understood that day that he wanted a lot more than just don't do this, don't do that. He wanted a personal relationship. And I said, Lord, he showed me places where I had really never cared where my classmates were saved, all those kinds of things. And I said, Lord, I want to be obedient to you and I added a footnote, would you bring me a mate, (laughs) a Christian mate? And it wasn't too many uh, Sundays before this young man from Oklahoma walked in. And um, a year and a half later, we were married, and we were married for 33 years. And uh, we eventually moved back to Oklahoma, or to his home. And, um, you know, everything was great. And we had our first uh, child, and that would be Ben, that you went to school with, and he's now, I think, 48. <laughs> That's about right, because I'm turning 48. Maybe, Robin, I is that... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> no, I'm not hiding it. I'll just let my light go shine. So it has been a while, and he now has four uh, boys and lives in Texas, but uh, life was wonderful, and then the first real hard thing I went through is my dad got sick, and he had a brain tumor. And I was a daddy's girl. He was a school teacher. I rode back and forth to school with him every day. And uh, his parents lived to be in their 80s, and I just was a basket case. And I can honestly say at that time, I really didn't know how to stand on God's Word. But he met me right where I was. And 
One of the times I was home, a friend brought me The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Oh, my mother loved, like it was a wonderful book in my house. Yes. Yes. I didn't have time to read it, so I left it in Oklahoma, and I got to Mississippi, and while I was sitting at the foot of the hospital bed with my dad, um, a friend, my aunt, brought me a copy of The Hiding Place, and so that was like twice in a week and a half, so I... I began to read it, and, oh, God just ministered to me so much. And at that time, I was so torn up over my dad. I felt so sorry for my mom and and what they were going through, and then I was trying to fly back and forth, take my two-year-old with me, and so I was torn apart. And as I read and met Corey, I feel like on those pages, I realized that God had not changed. You know, he told me that I've not changed. Mm-hmm. I'm the same God I was to Corey. I'll be that God to you. And I began to reach out and take those scriptures and believe them and take them to my heart. Mm-hmm. And then my, you know, health issues went away and I had peace when my dad died. But I forgot most of that by the time our second child was born. And that was Janice Marie Whitley, Oklahoma City's New Year's baby. In 1978, we were on Channel 4 and Channel 5 by the time she was just a few hours old. And I thought, oh, life is wonderful. We've got a girl and a boy, and we lived in Willow Creek, probably not too far from you, maybe. I know, (laughs) right around the block, maybe. How about that? And um, on the eighth day, Jan went into heart failure, and that day we lost the normal little girl that we had. She was born with a heart defect that was not detectable at birth. And this is 1978, so they, when they went in to try to repair it, she went into shock. And her brain swelled over the next few days. Today, they would remove a portion of that brain, but then they didn't do that. So it crushed major areas of her brain, and she went into a coma. And we were told she's not going to live. There's no way. They literally said, there's no way she can live. And he added, but if for some strange reasons she did, she would have brain damage. And um, so, you know, the week, this went on for a week, and it's like each day it got a little bit worse, what we were finding out. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had tubes going everywhere. They wouldn't let us hold her because they were still fighting to save her life. And then there came the day when they said, well, you can hold her because they didn't think she would make it. And I can remember thinking, this doesn't look like my baby. She felt like a sack of potatoes, and her hands were already turned backwards from the amount of Mm -hmm. brain damage she had. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but they said, we're thinking we may take her off of life support, and if we do, we need you to sign those papers. And at that point, uh, we knew we've got to go pray. Mm -hmm. And so... We went to the chapel at Children's Hospital along with a lot of uh, church friends and family. And I remember a young 26, 27-year-old woman walking in, and I'm thinking, and I haven't shared this with anybody, God, where are you? Don't you know my baby is dying? Don't you know? You know, and that that was my thoughts. And again, he meets you where you are because a friend on the back row who I had just met at church Uh, said, oh, I found a scripture uh, that I want to read you. And it was Psalm 139, thinking that I'm thinking, God, don't you know what's going on? And and really thinking he didn't. 
You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It's amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born, and you scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you were thinking about me constantly. Oh, that was just a life rope thrown to me because I knew that I knew God saw it all. Mm -hmm. He knew the beginning. He knew the ending, and I could trust him. And, you know, the next day, Jan came out of the coma, and the oh. doctors were surprised. Mm -hmm. they, they said they were surprised she came out of the coma. Um, by the next day, she was starting to suck the respirator. Pretty soon, they started to feed her, and I was pretty astounded. You know, and we knew God had given her back. We didn't know what the future looked like. And I, I can remember going down the elevator the day we brought her home, saying to my husband, it's 1978. They know so much now. They're going to be able to, you know, help her so much. And it wasn't long before I came to the realization there was no help. You know, we hung our hat on this doctor's appointment. We hung our hat on that doctor's appointment, and it was just a fight day by day to keep Jan alive. And uh, one day I had just, uh, we had an appointment coming up with a specialist, um, a neurological specialist, and, and I can remember just knowing he was going to have the answers. Jan had horrendous seizures. Uh, she, she couldn't sleep. Her thermostat was damaged. If she cried too much... Her temp could go to 106, and she didn't have a fever. It, mm. It's, you know, yeah. the thermostat. And I, I knew he's going to have the answers. And so went in, and that day my husband had something he had to be at. So I went by myself, expecting all this help. And that doctor said, I'm just going to be real honest with you. This child is, and he treated her like a little sack of potatoes. He did not treat her like a child. He said, she is severely brain injured. He said, you need to just think about finding a place to put her and get on with your life. And uh, oh. I was so devastated. I came home and I remember throwing myself on the bed and crying and crying. And without realizing it, I let his words take the hope out of mm -hmm. me. And, uh, but again, God meets you right where you are. I went on for a few days, and we by then we're doing everything we could think of, you know, to help her. And I'm feeding her with a syringe because she couldn't keep down regular food. It, it's a long story. But that morning I opened my devotional after living several days of just, okay, I this is how life's going to be, and it's just like one day changed into another day, and it's sleepless nights, and it's, I'd lost my hope, but I didn't know it, but God did. So I pick up my devotional. I'm still reading my Bible, you know, even though I've lost my hope. I don't know I've lost my hope, and the first sentence of this devotion just pops off the page, and this was it. I knew God was speaking to me, but I didn't even understand what he was saying. It said, resignation to my will is a greater barrier than unbelief. And I said, I know you're speaking to me, Lord, but I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Resignation to my will is a greater barrier than unbelief. And I just kept reading it. 
And then I saw it. I realized that I had resigned my uh, mind to the fact that things were not going to be different. This was just how it was going to be. There was nothing I could do. I believed every negative thing the doctor said. And in essence, I lost my hope. And I know there's people that will listen to this that are there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They've lost their hope. And I'm telling you, God is our hope. His word is true. And he will never forsake you. I had to have an attitude change and recognize my eyes were on my situation, not on him. Once I got back to my eyes being on him, my attitude changed, the joy came back, and I believed that God wanted to do something through this little girl, Mm -hmm. a severely brain-injured girl. I felt like he gave her back, and I believed he had a plan. And sometimes people would ask me, well, what define what you meant? And I finally wrote out with what I think resigning yourself means. We put God in a box and think our situation is hopeless. Nothing is hopeless with God. Um, We put him in a box and we say, I accept this situation. But in our heart, we're thinking, but I can't see how anything good could come out of it. And in essence, resignation is disappointment with my lot in life, whatever that is. We all have different situations. But if the enemy can get us to thinking that, man, where I am is hopeless and it's going to be this way, I'll just be a martyr and go forward, he'll do it. True acceptance is believing that God wants to work right where you are and it's trusting him in spite of what you see. And uh, it knows he can work and work this very thing to my good. And But it puts our focus on God, not on our circumstance. And that was a big turning point for me. And I began to pray and expect God to use Jan. I didn't know how he was going to use her, but I knew he was going to. And my prayer became, Lord, just let her enjoy life. And be happy. And the at, this, doc- at this time, Pam, would this have been after that very disappointing doctor appointment? Was she still just a couple months old? Or she what, was Hannah? probably um, maybe four or five months old then. Okay. And um, she, at that time, didn't respond in any way, except she seizured continually. And mm. she, um, just feeding her was... Someone heard of our plight and brought us a three-ounce syringe, and that's how I had to feed her. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where we were at that time. And but I believed, I knew that I knew God had a plan after that point, and I began, you know, to trust Him with it. And uh, we heard about a program in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania that worked with brain-injured children, and we applied. And and not only did I hear about it, but I met someone that was on it, and I saw the results they had had with their child. And so we applied, and we were on a two-year wait. But the people that were applying, all of their children were, you know, very, very critical Mm -hmm. care. And so children died so that we got into that program when Jan was 13 months old. Mm -hmm. Um, She weighed 13 pounds. She was in newborn clothing 
And she basically didn't smile or respond. Wow. Mm. 13 pounds. Yeah. Tiny. Wow. She was very, very little. It, it was very hard to keep any food down her. And uh, I remember the day we flew to Philadelphia to see if we would be accepted on this program. And we felt like we would be because we already knew she had brain damage. And uh, that's the only ones they could work with. And... Uh, I thought, you know, when you're real close to something, you can't really see. I had her dressed real cute, and I'd made her this little outfit and a hair bow, and I heard these people talking behind me, look how sick that pitiful child is. And I didn't even realize, you know, at that point, I I couldn't see. I can go back and see the pictures now, and I see, but... But you were with her every day, so this is what you were used to. yes. Yes, exactly. And I think we're all that way when we're in a situation day in and day out. We see it. We can't see beyond it many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started that program, and over a period of two years, we had 120 volunteers that came into our house. Wow. Um, Wow. It was usually shifts, and there were probably 12 people a day. I'm still friends with many of those patterners on Facebook, and there were like angels coming in. I would, Ben would hand out bulletins asking for people to help. And we crawled for her. We made all the things that should be happening happen. And they would measure uh, if her brain had grown when we went back to the Institute, they would measure her chest. All of that started to just, you know, improve greatly because of what all we were doing. And, um, but the Third month on it, we were in an airport going back up to Philadelphia. Her dad went to get uh, us something to drink, and when he walked up, she smiled. (gasps) (laughs) Can you describe how you felt? (laughs) Well, it's just unbelievable, you know. And we saw, we soon began to see a Jan that we had never seen. And she laughed, and she learned to giggle, and she learned to... uh, uh, just enjoy life. That'd been my prayer. Right. And uh, that's why I carry a picture, which y'all can see. But can I carry it. our show notes if it's I, okay. Uh, yes, oh, I carry it yeah. because she was never supposed to smile or respond. This picture was taken in a TGNY. Oh, I remember TGNY. And I was <laughs> pushing her in her wheelchair, and this man came up to me, and he said, um, my niece has cerebral palsy, and he said, I know how hard good pictures are to get. He said, could I take her picture? (laughs) That's the picture he got. And so she indeed became this little girl that just loved life. She never walked. She never talked. She never was able to even use her hands. She, I learned so much from her that just putting your thumb and index finger together is miraculous. I saw children at the Institute They would work to get developed to the point that they could just pick up a penny. And some of them made it, but, you know, many of them didn't. But I thought all the things I took for granted Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. Jan, it was to us miraculous what God did through her, particularly a little girl that couldn't walk, talk, or use her hands. But uh, she just shed forth so much love. And then in... um, I think it was 1994. There's a whole other story, but my heart's desire was to take care of Jan as long as she lived. 
But there came a day when, it, you know, I used to say, people say, how do you lift her? And I said, well, it's like angels are there to help me. There yeah. came a so day. So how big did she, like, how much did she weigh? She finally me? got close to 80 pounds. Okay. And her weight was dead weight, like right. an infant. Right. And, you know, in my 30s, I could pick her up like nobody's business, you know, and mm-hmm. I could put her in her chair and lift her chair with her in it. But in my 40s, I realized, wow, I can barely pick her up. It became very difficult to bathe her. I can only bathe her after getting stuck in the bathtub with her one night. I realized I can't bathe her in the bathtub anymore. She's too heavy. And so I would bathe her in the sink. All those things came into play. But my prayer was still, Lord, my heart's desire was to take care of her. And I just assumed that God's plan was my plan. Mm -hmm. And there came a day when I said, God, I haven't ever asked you, was this your plan for me to take care of her as long as she lived? And from the time I prayed that prayer, a series of events took place that Jan went into this children's center in Bethany, Oklahoma. I know exactly where that is. You know where that is. And I grieved for a year. I was at the children's center Every day, you know, I was probably there more than I was at home. But you know what? It was amazing. A team of new people every eight hours could do an awesome job of taking care of her. And uh, so she blossomed. Uh, She was in pretty bad health when she went in. But under their care, it's the most wonderful facility. Mm -hmm. Jan blossomed. I I will say at that time, I was grieving because I felt like I failed God. And even though I felt like God led me there and I could see his hand, I felt like a failure. And I kept praying and saying, Lord, I'm so sorry. Even though, because I was so, I was so determined to take care of her. Mm -hmm. I couldn't let go of being mom that took care of her at home. And one day I was supposed to teach a Bible study at my church, and I wasn't totally ready. I got up, Jan's at the Children's Center, and I had this impression, uh, you've got to go to the Children's Center, got to go to the Children's Center. And I thought Jan was probably really sick, and I rushed to the Children's Center. And uh, I walked back there, and Jan's sound asleep. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, how did I miss you like that? Well, then, this is before the new facility at the Children's Center. It was in an older building, and Jan's room was real long and narrow, and she had another little girl in the other end. And when we made placement of Jan, Jan loved music. That was her lifeline. And we played, um, we sang to her, too. So I made a tape before we went to the Children's Center that had a, our life going on in it. You could hear our little dog, and you could hear all the silly things we said and sang, and it went with her to the children's center. Well, it played by her bed. Well, I look over. It's playing, even though Jan's asleep, and I realize that one of the little girl's dad is there, and that little girl is dying. Uh And uh, I didn't know that, you know, and I see that. And so I walk over, and, and I begin to talk to him. Well, it was just like he knew me, he, and he started to talk to me about, and I'm thinking, how does he know all this stuff? And then I realized 
when he said, I've been listening to your tape. <laughs> he knew about our dog. Um. He knew about everything. <laughs> and uh, he let me pray with him. He let me give him a little booklet I had of scriptures. And I went back down to the facility and was talking to one of the social workers. She said, that's amazing. He is anti-God. He has not let us talk to him. He's been hostile if we tried to talk to him. And she said, "That is, you don't know how amazing that oh is. Oh, my goodness. So on the way back, he let me pray with him. On the way back, uh, I had to leave. I felt like God said, Pam, you see, Jan has a ministry. Oh. And only Jan could have reached this man. Yeah. You've got to let go of your plan and let me use her. And that's the first time I realized um, how Jan, and when Jan died at 28 years of age, the mail I received and the stories, I've got them in a book of how Jan ministered to them. Mm. Uh, Jan had a ministry. How precious. And it was so amazing to me because the doctors had said this is hopeless. Not all of them, but the, particularly the neurologist. And I just knew nothing is hopeless with God. You give him whatever it is, he's going to bring and work it to our good. The thing is what we do with it. You know, we can, um, I've heard it said, it's the I. Am I going to be better, bite or bitter? And I make that choice whether I'm going to let God work in my life and make it better or if I'm going to get bitter about it. So anyway, backtracking to 2000, um, my uh, 2000 began, we lived in the home we'd been in for 20 years and the church we'd been in for 24 years. All my siblings were alive and, you know, everything was pretty normal. Uh, March, I received a call of 2000. My brother died. We moved in yeah. April. He died unexpectedly. That summer, my sister was diagnosed with a recurrence of melanoma. Um, she died the following year. Uh, then, you know, I was very close to my sister. She was nine years older than me, and she was kind of a cross between a mom mm -hmm. and a sister. And so it was very hard loss. And I'm thinking that I've had about all I can handle. I'm telling God that, Lord, then we have to move Jan in the middle of all this. And to Corn, Oklahoma is where we found the best place for her. And this was a government ruling that came down where they couldn't keep any children over 21. And so in the middle of all this, we've got to move her. And I'm thinking, I, Lord, I just can't take much more. Well, 2002, Jan went in the hospital for 50 days, came out on hospice, and then my husband was diagnosed with melanoma like three or four weeks later, and he lived 13 months. Mm -hmm. And at one oh, time, Jan and he both were on the same hospice. But through it all, there's just so many stories of how faithful God was. I did hospice at home, and one night, um, he died on a Friday, and I think it's like Thursday, and they put him on a new pain patch, and all of a sudden, he just was in excruciating pain, and it was horrible, and I called hospice, and they said, well, we can't be there for 45 minutes, and they said, 
the man said, well, just give him more morphine. The worst it can do is kill him. And, uh, and I'm just uh, beside myself. And I said, Lord, please send me help. The doorbell rang. My neighbor down the street, who was an RN, was coming to bring me roses. And I grabbed uh, her by the hand. And she knew just what to do. She called the pharmacy. I, you know, and time and time again, I have to say that occurred when I would think, I can't do this, uh, whatever. He would send help from the sanctuary. That's I always felt like he sent it from the sanctuary, from his children. And then Mike died in, in August of 2003. Jan lived to 2006. And, and by the time this was all said and done, I was pretty well broken. Uh, and um, I just um, I found it hard to function. And God was faithful through it all, but it it just was, you know, kind of an overload. By then, I was having uh, my son married a wonderful girl that I love like a daughter, and I have had so many blessings through her. Thank you, Stephanie. And uh, But they moved to Owasso, and they wanted me to move, and so I moved in 208 and uh, 209. I think it was 209. And uh, then I met John in my Sunday school class at First Baptist Owasso. He had his own set of brokenness, and we were married in 2011. And um, we've traveled a lot, and I'm still healing. Uh, But more than anything, I can say God is faithful. Even when you think it's more than you can bear, He's going to help you through it. He's going to let you see Him and his mighty just grace and that little saying I like to use is God's um, grace keeps pace with whatever you face and I can testify to that and I will say um, would you say that again God's grace keeps pace with whatever you face and I can say that and I believe it with all my being (laughs) it truly does it doesn't mean that life won't have its hard. I mean, Jesus went to the cross. It doesn't mean that it won't be hard. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer. But in it all, he gives us that rope, (laughs) his grace, to get through it. We have his word uh, that we can stand on every day. And I forgot this last time when I gave my testimony. That scripture, I saw you in your mother's womb. I numbered the days of your life before you were even born, was my husband's scripture he held on to as well. When he was diagnosed, he said, you know, the scripture is for me too, isn't it? And he held on to it. It's for all of us. He numbered the days of our lives. Every day is recorded. He's thinking about us constantly. And there is nothing that we're going to go through that we're going to go through without him Mm -hmm. or without his grace. So that's... That's how I feel about it. And uh, to these days, I spend a lot of time taking pictures. Of we, we moved out a ways. We only have an acre and a third, but we are visited by raccoons, <laughs> uh, groundhogs, deer, fawns. And uh, from John, I learned photography. And I enjoy that so much. And I just tell the Lord, Lord, I know you prepared this for me Mm because I never saw it coming. You know, 
liking to take pictures and enjoying all the wildlife. I feed the deer. I feed the raccoon. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but I see it as a part of a grace that God has um, given me to just enjoy. And uh, so it has been quite the journey. I've seen some of your beautiful pictures that you've taken on Facebook. And it's, it's a gift it. that you have that the Lord has given you. I believe he gave it to me. So what was this like for Ben growing up? I think it was very tough for Ben. Ben was always very good with Jan. Um, he never resented her. Uh, he always would play with her. She adored him. And I can even remember times, um, I think it was when he was a junior and senior in high school, there were times he stayed home to keep Jam because she was sick Aww. so that we could go to church because Mike and I both taught classes. And But I know it had to be hard for him because we could never take vacations. You know, we mm-hmm. couldn't do a lot of things that um, normal families do. And if we did get to take one, we usually had to have two people that could stay because usually one couldn't handle the nights and the feeding and everything and then by the time she went in the children's center he was at osu and the summer he went to osu jan was in the hospital for 50 days and i remember he and i would talk late every evening but we couldn't even go with him to look at colleges because mike was self-employed he was a petroleum engineer and typically, when there were wells running, he the buck stopped with him. And then Jan, the buck stopped with me. And so Ben um, was, you know, I, he had to feel, he's never said anything about it, but he had to feel alone and lonely a lot of times. But I will say that um, the young lady he married is amazing. And I've watched them with their four boys and... I'm just amazed at the job they've done, and I know they cherish being able to take a week or two vacation every year with those boys. Ben takes each boy when they turn 13 on a a daddy trip, Mm -hmm. and he lets them choose. And so I think part of the daddy he has become is because of probably what he didn't get because of Jan. And um, I know Stephanie, his wife, one night, she told me, she says, well, I'm reading the boys your book. And I cried because I never thought about, you know, her reading. She was reading um, about Jan and about Ben growing up. So they're one of my great blessings. And uh, Listeners, in case you will catch you up, this uh, amazing story, Pam has actually written it down. And it's a book called Not a Glimmer of Hope. And it's a book that tells this entire story. So, in fact, if you are interested in reading this book, you can reach out to us on Afraid Not. You can send us a message, and we can get in touch with uh, how you could get a book. So we just want you to know that. So how sweet that she read that to your grandson. Yes, it just made me weep because I never thought about her doing that. And uh, so they've raised the boys in... um, you know, just in the faith, the boys are, in fact, my grandson that is in Phoenix uh, is in uh, Navigators and has been memorizing scripture, and um, I'm real proud to see, I'm a proud grandma, but of course. I, I'm proud that out of what Ben came out of, 
um, the pain I'm sure he had. Um, you know, I'm I'm very thankful um, how they lived their life, mm-hmm. and and uh, so, and I'm thankful um, that they hold on to Jesus, just like you know I've held on to him, and I love that. I love seeing that. It's a blessing. And didn't you also share in the time I heard you at church? Hasn't God blessed you with a sweet relationship yes. with your husband's children, too? Yes, yes. He has a wonderful daughter, Angie. Angie loves photography. Uh, Stephanie, my daughter-in-law uh, that being married, loves photography. We both, all three, love writing. And, uh, in fact, Angie's taking a writing class with me right now. And, and uh, Stephanie writes. And uh, so I didn't see that coming. I didn't see coming. I prayed for Ben's mate from about the fourth grade on. I didn't know about doing that until someone visited our church and shared her testimony. And I began right then to pray for who Ben's mate would be. Mm-hmm. But I envisioned a little girl skipping through life with no problems, you know. And her mom uh, died when she was 15. Her dad died when she was six. Mm-hmm. She she had her on hurts but you know I got to make her wedding veil I got to help plan her wedding Mm -hmm. I got Mm -hmm. to help her with all of that and then Angie um, her mom passed away not too long ago but she was not in the picture and so I feel like that was such a blessing that I don't try to be their mothers but God lets me walk in some roles that uh, some motherly roles that I miss I miss with having a daughter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So his grace really does keep pace, you know, in more ways than we can ever imagine. Those are things I could have in my wildest dreams not imagined. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm so blessed by that. Wow. And I have a grandson getting married in December. Wow. (laughs) And I've met my great uh, granddaughter-in-law to be, and she's precious. And it reminds me a lot of myself. When I first came to Oklahoma and met the in-laws, and <laughs> and uh, I just remember all of that. So it's precious, and um, John has been wonderful, and he has helped so much with the healing, and I'm so thankful for that. So mm-hmm. I've been broken, beautiful. but I've been blessed. Yeah, it's, it makes me think of Job, kind of too, about yeah. and the, he gives and takes away, and he gives. Yes. And I feel like your life is in the way that Job says at the end of the book of Job, that blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes. That you've said, in the times of sorrow and in the times of sunshine, you're still saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a blessing to me. Yeah. Well, he is faithful. And I think somewhere along the time with Jan, I recognized, I'm sure God showed me this, that this life that we live now on a timeline is not even a quarter of an inch, you know, compared to eternity. Mm-hmm. So I think when we get so stressed out about this life and COVID and all the hard things, and they really are hard things that are going on, if we can reflect on the fact this life ain't it, we've got all of eternity looming before us. And what only what we do for Christ now is what's going to last. But mm-hmm. in eternity you know, we've got the real life coming. So that always 
comforted me a lot when I never knew if Jan was going to make the next day and uh, when she was little. So. so do you have like some specific recommendations for people to s- how to be better and not bitter? How did you keep from becoming bitter? Um, uh, for me, uh, it was drawing close to God. For example, um, God would bring to mind things like when Jan was little and it was every night, just about I was up 10, 15 times, and my husband's life was going on, it seemed to me, from my eyes, pretty normal. He was working out at the gym. He was going out to eat with people, and I'm I'm getting kind of resentful about that because I'm doing um, the major part of the care in my eyes, I'm saying. And so I'm talking to the Lord one morning, and I said, Lord, you just need to work on him. He's this. He's that. He's, he's blah, blah, blah. And God just spoke to my heart, and he said, well, Pam, you're the one I'm worried about. And he took me to the love chapter. And, and it was like a wake-up because I'd been focused on, you know, all this stuff that was just in my mind. I mean, some of it was true, but most of it wasn't. <laughs> and, and I could be thankful that Mike could go along and have a fairly normal life. Of course, he was coming home to, you know, chaos with what was going on. But it's funny how the enemy will use things, but it was the Bible that would bring me back. Mm -hmm. And then there were Christian books. Hiding Place, for one, was just a big turning point by Corey Tin Boone. If you haven't read it, um, it got things in perspective pretty quickly for me. And then there were others. I think there was one called Be Anxious for Nothing, and it was on anxiety because there were times I would get very anxious. Mm-hmm. And um, there were, I would read, even when Jan went in the Children's Center, I was looking up books on grief and false guilt and all this stuff. And that is another thing. I didn't really realize then that I grieved when I made placement, a placement of her in the Children's Center. I didn't identify that as grief. And later I would see that was a hard grief, even though she hadn't died. And it was a hard grief when she suffered the brain damage. So identifying where there was grief was a big changer for me because it doesn't have to be a death. It can be a divorce. Mm -hmm. It can be uh, a loss of the norm, whatever that was. It's just a loss of something that was important. Yes. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to understand that. So... It's been quite the journey. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your story. Well, thank you very much. Thank y'all for letting me do it. You're a blessing, Pam. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, very much. Listeners, we're so glad that you were here today listening into this amazing story that Pam shared with us. We're really grateful, Pam, that you came on this show. And something I'm taking with me just tucking into my heart today is just to remember the quote that Pam shared, God's grace keeps pace with whatever you face. I needed that today, and you may have needed it too. And I really needed to hear about making the choice to be better, not bitter. Sometimes things can happen, people can say things, and it makes us feel like just resentful and anger. Or even towards God, and we sometimes we often have to make that choice of I'm not going to let that happen. Um, if you are interested in a copy of her book, 
if you will comment on social media on our Facebook page or our Instagram page at Afraid Not Pod, you uh, we will make sure and get that to you. Just give us your information. We can direct message you and uh, make sure that you get a copy of her book. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you back again in two weeks. Bye, everybody.